2: And welcome back to the Cover Three Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Canell, that's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. We're coming to you live at youtube.com/slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, come and join us in the chat. So much to get to here on a Monday because the coaching carousel is in full swing. Thanks to all of you that listened to. <coughs> mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo, monday baby uh, yeah <laughs> i tell you what boy you sound like mike leach that yeah
2: boy that COVID 29 ain't no joke all right so uh thanks to all of you that listened to our instant reaction show luke fickle to wisconsin uh the fallout that's coming from that more on cincinnati you know we were very much in the throes of of the breaking news as we do when those sirens hit your feed. And I think that we've had some more time to really hear about what Cincinnati's plans are and start to really reframe what that Cincinnati job is going to be. I will admit that I was like, oh, after we finished recording, I realized like, oh, that's a big 12 job next year. Like, yeah. Like this, like this offseason we are going to be having that realignment so how does that play into uh, the conversation uh, we've got more buzz that we've had all throughout uh, Sunday we had a listener request for some western michigan talk cannot promise it but hey it's in it's, it's on the it's on the spinning carousel maybe it will come up but we want to begin with what we thought was going to be just a little bit of a you know, a formality or potentially a little bit of a certainty. We get the news that uh, Lane Kiffen was signing an extension with uh, Ole Miss and that things were starting to move in the direction of Hugh Freeze. Multiple reports had indicated that the conversations had been going on for weeks. They were just finalizing the details. No Hugh Freeze news. No Hugh Freeze news. No Hugh Freeze news. And then this morning, our own Dennis Dodd, hearing pushback on Auburn administration, re the football hire now that Lane is staying at Ole Miss. Plan A was Lane, plan B was freeze. Don't know if Auburn had a plan C, Bears watching. Again, that coming from our own Dennis Dodd. So before we get into some of the uh, news and the job openings that I think we've got a little bit more concrete information on, let's get into what is a, a... A little bit of a difficult or tricky situation. It's tough to navigate. There's a lot of passion going on within this conversation. So what is happening at Auburn? And what piece of this do you feel the most certain about?
1: (laughs) The piece I feel the most certain about is Auburn happening and dysfunction happening (laughs) in a coaching search. As for after that, I don't know.
4: Yeah, there's so many kind of balls up in the air here, right? So what do we know? I I think it's pretty well accepted at this point that Auburn wanted Lane Kiffin, right? Yes. I suspect that that was AD John Cohen's choice, okay? When that fell through, it got fairly well circulated. Now, was that by Hugh Freeze's camp or by Auburn people or both uh, that Hugh Freeze was the backup choice? I think that's probably true, but I would question whose backup choice, right? Was that fully... John Cohen's choice, I know we've spoken on the air before how Cohen was the AD for Dan Mullen at Mississippi State when you know Mississippi State was actively trying to narc on Ole Miss and get them in trouble and have their players talk about some of the recruiting inducements and things that they were allegedly offered by people associated with Ole Miss. So again, I'd be a little bit surprised if that was really Cohen's plan B, but my suspicion here is that it was a lot of people at Auburn's plan B, and now, according to Dennis Dodd, there's some pushback on that as probably well there should be. You have to be concerned that a guy is actively DMing a girl, right? right. Who didn't make any allegations against football, right? At, at least on, on, on Freeze's team, just out of the blue, jumping into people's DMs, which is not new for him. And, and it just, it's not a good look at all for, for a guy who's had his past to do that. And I think it, it raises some questions about his self-control. And if you're an Auburn administrator, not an Auburn booster, that might worry you some. I mean, there's plenty of guys who can get the job done at Auburn. You don't need to hire Hugh Freeze.
2: I I think it is important. I'm glad you mentioned that because one thing that's new
4: it goes against the whole change narrative, right? Like it, that's a new thing. That's from this summer. It's that's, not yeah. This is, what I have, miss.
2: What I have seen from the pushback and the campaign of emails that are being sent to Auburn's administration regarding the potential hire of Hugh Freeze. Um, is less to do with what happened at Ole Miss, if not nothing to do with what happened at Ole Miss. Because now there's blowback to the blowback, right? Now we're starting to get the columns about forgiveness. Now we're starting to get the the messages about it's like, well, I know people who have done that. Like this, this is not uh, about. Uh, in my opinion, this is uh, a a pushback that is coming from the uh, the handling, the potential tampering, the interference, uh, with any kind of, uh, sexual violence investigations. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I don't, I'm like, we're, I don't want to like step in this here, which is why I'm glad we have a group, we're not a one man show where you can just come out here and, you know, hang yourself on this one. But I think that the, um, what happened at Ole Miss, both in terms of the NCAA violations and both in terms of his own personal life, does not seem to be at the center of um what is some pushback and a campaign for pushback against Hugh Freeze, right?
3: Yes. Okay. Have you guys been DM'd by Hugh Freeze? Yes. No. I have. So we got half the show. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a DMer. Like he and yeah. I'm shocked
1: you haven't been, bud. Your DMs are open, yeah. right? Uh, they weren't for a while. Oh, okay.
3: Um, I don't know. that. Uh, the one thing I, I'm more along the lines with Tom, like the one thing I feel certain of is that Auburn, this search is going to be dysfunctional, just like the last offseason was just a complete dumpster fire. And remind me again, what number coach was Brian Harson for them to go through before they, you know, realized, oh, we got to hire somebody. Like, I think this is the thing that's always fascinating to me is that you feel like you're in a position to get whoever you want. We got deep pockets. We can write checks with anybody. And then all of a sudden, you come to the realization, "Oh no, uh oh, there's one down. Lane's done. Now, oh, we're getting we're getting pushback." Like at some point, where's the self realization that maybe you're not the destination job that you think you are? I think it can be a good job, but I also think there might be some coaches out there who don't want to get into this mess. So I think this thing could get dicey in a hurry. I do think once they look at the other options available, I do think Hugh Freeze would be the guy. I think he'd be a good coach for them. I think he'd be able to win there. But it's not going to play out nice and smooth as everyone thinks it is. See, like, that's
1: my concern about Hugh Freeze is even if you just completely erase everything that's already happened, just based on how he is – and the fishbowl that that Auburn job is and how dysfunctional it is. Do you really want a coach who's out here DMing anybody about anything that they might say about him who takes, who has, seems to have very thin skin? He seems to respond to anything that is said about him and is concerned about how he is perceived by other people. I, I think he's a very good football coach. I think he did a terrific job at Ole Miss. I don't know if I want to kind of have to deal with some of the potential headaches that would pop up if he's my coach at Auburn. It's also a very different conversation to be had if you're an
4: Auburn fan who just cares about winning, right? Or if you're an administrator who has to supervise Hugh Freeze. It's a very different conversation because if you're an Auburn fan, whether he's tru- truthful to the people that, that, that employ him doesn't really matter to you, right? You just care about the wins and losses on, on Saturday. You show up, you cheer, right? You follow the recruiting, that, that kind of stuff. But if you're if you're John Cohen, if you're Auburn's president, your ass is kind of in the jackpot. If if he goes goes there and, and does something that embarrasses you again because you have prior
3: warning, can't you have a clause or something that says, "Hey, we're going to run your social media"? Or are you worried about so- uh, other stuff? I mean, seriously, can't and, you do that? Like, hey, we're going to have somebody run your social media. At for least get you. a private cell phone, right? <laughs> right?
1: All of a sudden, you're getting DMs from Hugh F nine eight seven six zero two four one three. Yeah.
3: Ah. Uh, oh.
4: It's entirely possible they just hire like a crisis PR firm and push this through at some point. Maybe they find a, a time to immediately dump it or to, you know just kind of news dump it. But do you want to be news dumping your head coaching hire at what I at think Auburn is, is it right? It's yeah. like a, it's absolutely a top 25 job, right? At, at minimum. Yes. yes. D- due to the pay and the recruiting. Vacuum. Yeah. Even with all the Auburn nonsense, it's still a great job because of the amount of money you're going to make, the amount of money you can pay your coordinators, the players you can recruit. The titles you can compete for, it it, it's still a great job. Even that's why we're leading the show with it. I think there's a lot better candidates than Hugh
3: Freeze, man. Honestly, like they don't have the kind of baggage with proven track records. I think so. Yeah. So what? Who are those? Yeah, I'm curious to know too.
4: What What about Chadwell? Right? What about Jeff Prom? Mm -hmm. Those guys are really good schemers. They've They've achieved a lot at places that are tough. Have they won
3: in the SEC? Have they beaten Bama? Like That's the thing I think that matters to Auburn are those things. Now, they might be better coaches. I would agree with you on that. I think they might be safer and they have just as much upside. But can you sell that as, hey, this guy has beaten Nick Saban, the thing that we want to do, and he's won at a program with less resources than we can give to him?
4: I mean, look, he's not beaten Bama. No. Um, They also haven't gotten fired.
2: Auburn can't mm-hmm. sell Coastal Carolina's coach.
1: That's
4: they what could. I, that's kind of what I want.
3: No, to. they
1: want SEC experience. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. But I mean, it's what's not to sell about freaking Jamie Chadwell? The guy took Coastal and it's got a really fun offense and he wins a lot of games. Like, there's plenty to sell. If you're looking for a coach who has proven he can beat Nick Saban, you have a very limited pool of coaches you are able to choose from because you're not getting Kirby. You're not getting Dabo. You're not. I mean, it's like,
2: okay, all right. Hold on. So what about a coach that maybe not has beaten Nick Saban, but has led to losses for Nick Saban? Bill O'Brien. If you want to luck trying to roll that one. Bama Bama fans would love that. If you want (laughs) to take down Alabama, get the man who nearly ended the dynasty as offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien as the next head coach.
3: Do you guys know why has the uh the Deion Sanders smoke seemed to be fading? Is that was that all created by him and his people where it's not legitimate? Yeah.
4: I I don't think that that Deion Sanders was a legitimate candidate at Auburn. Nothing I've heard suggest like from people. Who I trust there, and you hear a lot of different things. Uh, nothing I've heard was that he was a real candidate there.
1: But like you said, when it comes to this Auburn job, you hear so many different things. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's you, you have absolutely no idea who knows anything or what you're hearing if there's any modicum of truth to any of it. And then it's going to end up being somebody that they just kind of pull out of a hat. That's that's my official prediction. I don't know who it's going to be, but it is not going to be a name we've heard yet. That's my and prediction.
3: And what's crazy is the clock is ticking, which is why all of these other hires are being made as soon as possible. Because we have one week till the transfer portal opens. We have, what, three or four weeks until the early signing day, like you need to get on this and get on this soon. And yet you can't make a panic hire like they, But this is where, how can you not have all these decisions made and your ducks in a row so that, you know, all right, as soon as it's done, we're done. They got played. Everyone gets played by Jimmy Sexton. It's unbelievable.
2: I think they might've thought that a, that they knew that Hugh freeze would say yes. And that if lane says, no, we go Hugh freeze, then we'll move on that. And now they're getting peppered with emails that are being sent to, to Bud's point, administrators who are a little bit, you know, like, okay, wait, 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 let's, let's, let's wait. Let's, let's let's see what happens here.
1: But to Bud's point earlier, we don't know that it was Cohen who viewed freeze as the backup option to Lane Kiffin. I mean, we've seen how this has worked at Auburn before. They had like a coup attempt with their last coaching search. To find the AD wanted to do one thing, the boosters wanted to do something else. I feel like q Freeze is a booster hire, not an AD hire. And they'll
4: never, power. they'll never sell it that way. Obviously, if uh, if they do, oh, the boosters definitely more power than, than right. Cohen, mm-hmm. Ultimately, right. like like that. Th- this is how this works. The the boosters are like owners in the NFL. And they ultimately call the shots. If, if they now th- most of these dudes are not actually going to pull donations if you do this or that. They, they might, you know, kind of grovel about it, but most of them will go along with it within reality, at least for a little while. Cohen's a respected AD. I, I look, nobody's in a better position to know the good and the bad. Not nobody, but few are in a position to know the good and the bad of Hugh Freeze than John Cohen. You know, Mississippi State was digging on him. Right. You don't think they had like their own investigators looking into his stuff at at their main chief rival? They damn sure did. So I'm not going to totally rule out he frees Auburn. They could news dump this thing. We've also, like, there's rumors out there about Auburn having interest in James Franklin. There's rumors out there about, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, what about? I mean, here's the thing he's won. What if if the real backup plan was Sonny Dykes and TCU just kept winning Mm -hmm. and winning and winning?
1: Right. Ooh. um if I mean, go ahead Tom I was gonna say when we were talking about it the other day on the show Franklin is the coach I was hinting at I wasn't dropping the name, but I mean the rumors are kind of out there now but it's yeah
2: is it are I, they do you think that they are rumors because James Franklin is um well obviously we talked about him when USC opened we talked about him when LSU opened is it because he just he fits that mold of he's, he's proven he's got SEC experience he's been able he, this season has been fantastic for James Franklin mm-hmm. and he it's, went it's a much and easier
1: it'd be a much easier sell right now than it would have been at LSU or USC last last winter. He's recruited well at Penn State. Like you said, he's got the SEC experience like he checks a lot of the boxes for what Auburn would want and as we've seen with Brian Kelly and with Lincoln Riley, you can't rule anything out and if you're Penn State right now, you've got to deal like you had to deal with Ohio State. But now Michigan is looking like the actual big dog on the block in the Big Ten, but Ohio State's not going anywhere. You've got USC coming. If you're James Franklin and you're kind of looking at the future of the conference, maybe you're feeling like this is the time to jump. If you think he's got a squad
4: coming back next year, he, Yeah, he just the timing signed, would be weird. He just signed a new deal, right? A new, new mm-hmm. ten-year contract? Yeah, it was Franklin the,
2: and Tucker both got the uh, the massive deals during the last he, coaching cycle.
4: I don't know what the buyout is. But I mean,
2: money's not real.
1: Yeah, no. Uh, every every coaching contract was signed through FTX. So,
2: oops. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so when do we think uh, a move on Auburn should be expected? Anytime, like, who knows?
4: Before December 5th, because yes. that, that is the day the transfer portal opens wide. So within can. a week, probably. But Do you guys think Sonny Dykes is still in play? I mean, look, the, the Big Twelve title game is is abjectly meaningless unless they just get their absolute doors blown off. Like TCU is in with a loss. I'm yeah. confident of that. Mm-hmm. So if unless they lose by like twenty eight and he's all of a sudden available and Auburn just does a total rainmaker offer, and Sonny Dykes wants to to take on the challenge and the the, take the benefits, uh, of Auburn then maybe, but I just, that's a whole lot of ifs guys. Uh, I, I wonder if he would have been in the running more if TCU had not kept just winning, right? Maybe the the guy's going to have a playoff team. I
2: mean, coaching carousels every single year filled with what sliding doors, right? Yeah. They're like, you know, if this team hadn't won or if this hadn't happened, then maybe another coach would have been hired. It's, it's why it's like, then there's so much uncertainty at this point, right now. Is
4: Fickle at Wisconsin? If uh, no, if they had not made the playoff
1: last year, I don't oh. think so. I think he probably would have taken another job. Might be at Notre Dame. You might be at USC. Right. You might be at LSU. Who knows? Oh, well, Wisconsin's happy about
2: that. Um, we're starting to see a little bit of movement on the Georgia Tech front. I have, I don't have anything uh, updated on my end on the Colorado front. Uh, we saw more jobs come open. Willie Taggart fired at FAU. We've got uh, Jake Spavitol fired at Texas State. Philip Montgomery fired at Tulsa. Um, Tim Lester fired at Western Michigan. The Cincinnati job, of course, as we mentioned, is open. What from the coaching carousel sort of stands out as the next piece or the next story that, uh, that you all are following?
4: I mean, I think we, we are waiting on Auburn because of the domino effect it could potentially have elsewhere, right? Like they're the one school out there that you think would pull a coach from an active P5 school.
2: And set off the point. dominoes because none Correct. of the other open jobs are on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Georgia Tech is a, a Power 5 job. Colorado is a Power 5 job, but they're existing in very different stratospheres than where the Auburn football program is. We got reports that uh, Georgia Tech was interviewing Willie Fritz, the Tulane head coach which is what they're like, that's run the triple, but don't run the triple.
1: Yeah, it's I, I think it's it's a very sensible, logical kind of move because it's maybe what they should have done the first time, because transitioning from the triple to a regular kind of pro style, whatever you want to call it, offense is really hard to do and takes time. Maybe you could have gone with somebody like Fritz, who has plenty of experience running the triple from his time at Georgia Southern but whose offense isn't just a traditional triple option offense. It's the same thing I thought when I thought Jamie Chadwell would be a perfect fit for Georgia Tech and is still somebody I think would be a perfect fit for Georgia Tech. So, yeah, I I think it makes sense. I think the timing is obvious. He's about to, you know, he might win a conference title with Tulane, which is something I don't think Tulane's done since, I don't know, the 60s or the 80s. I can't remember the last time they won a conference title anywhere, but uh, or no, 1998. Never mind, Tom, you idiot. They went 12-0. No, but it's
2: only two conference championships. One's an SEC title in the 60s, and yes. then one's a Conference USA title in the, eight, in the 90s. Yeah. Correct.
1: But anyways, I, I think that makes sense. I think it could be good, but it's, yeah, it's, we'll see. It's I, I don't know if Willie Fritz is going to be taking that job the week before his team's playing in a conference championship game.
3: Oh, yeah. We saw it, though, a lot with Billy Napier took Florida before the American championship game last year. Yeah, but he didn't have a.
1: There wasn't a New Year's 6 berth on the line.
3: Oh, yeah. That's true.
2: (laughs) Do you think that? uh, So we've mentioned Jamie Chadwell a little bit. um, Bud, is Troy going to lose its head coach?
4: To Tulane?
2: Oh, you think that there's no way that that jump could be made to Georgia Tech?
4: From John Summerall? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't heard that he's in the mix at Georgia Tech. Um, yeah. I, mean, I, I think he, I think both the guys coaching in the Sunbelt championship game actually would probably do a pretty damn good job at Georgia Tech. Like, the Coastal – or, excuse me, the Sunbelt has some pretty good coaches, in it, in my opinion. I, I don't know that – well, I don't know that Georgia Tech would pick Fritz over or would pick Chadwell over Fritz, to be honest, uh, just because, like, Tulane – you do have to deal with some academic stuff and obviously that is a, a commonality mm-hmm. they have with georgia tech um, they're like down here in florida there is a lot of chatter uh, about chadwell and usf so I, i'd be curious to see how that goes honestly like i know it's not a p5 job uh, and that would be disappointing i think for for him but i do believe it's a step up from coastal uh clearly and like their ability to take spare parts and create fun offense from it and the type like the bounce back transfers you can get at usf dudes from the state of florida who sign with an nc state or a wisconsin or somewhere out of state it's not working out for whatever reason you take them as a bounce back transfer a lot get a lot of speed i, I think they could make something work there at usf probably uh, they're, they're, it's a pretty creative staff I, I don't know where Tulane goes right i mean i think you'd have to potentially look at promoting chris hampton who's done a really nice job for them as a defense coordinator and, and a quality recruiter for them uh as well i don't know what i don't I, know what tilane pays does anybody have an idea what what fritz makes
2: i don't have it off no, the top of my head private school no I, I i'm i'm more on the uh the, the level of the fan here i just i i say that money's fake everywhere and just you know all, yeah like
3: <laughs> sure seems that way because every time it's like how are they going to get that done they figure out a way yeah A usf job is going to be interesting though because with the void that's going to be left behind the vacuum like you can fill that and become competitive i would think pretty quick be in the running for a conference championship and then have access to the playoff like i think and then you're seen as a savior yeah You know, like I think, I think it's a pretty attractive spot right now, especially with those four teams, you know, uh, leaving or three. Do they have the buy-in
1: though? Like UCF
3: administration,
1: yeah, because like UCF has been a very clear from the top down. We've known what UCF's goals have been for a long time. Does USF have that same kind of buy-in to achieve it? Because it takes more than just being located in Florida.
3: Yeah. It does. I mean, they have the bounce house. They got their own stadium. Mm -hmm. You know, it does feel like there's more fervor around the program than a USF fan base. So, yeah,
4: UCF has a different level of of buy-in, or at least has. I mean, USF's trying to get there. USF missed its window to level up. UCF's going to the Big 12. USF is not going anywhere fast. But they do have a chance to have, like, a top third, you know, dollar-wise buy-in within the New American.
2: So, speaking of that reshuffling, where does Cincinnati look? Because I, when we were on the instant reaction podcast, uh, Bud mentioned, is like, so what do you think's better, Cincinnati or Texas Tech? We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah Cincinnati. But what about across the entire reshuffled um, Big 12? Where does Cincinnati stack up in the new Big 12? Which again, like for a year, we'll have Texas and Oklahoma. But once we get Texas and Oklahoma out the paint, we're looking at the future of this conference with the UCF and Houston also added to the mix, BYU added to the mix, and the remaining teams, remaining teams and programs that are there. What is the the selling point for Cincinnati as they go look to hire a replacement for Luke Fickle?
1: I mean. I don't know. That's it's hard to know what the top tier of the conference is right now. Like yes, if you look at how things have gone the last 2 years, you'd say well TCU, Baylor seems to be like a tier 1 after Oklahoma and Texas, even Oklahoma State. But none of those programs are in a position to where I don't think a UCF or a Cincinnati or like a BYU and maybe even Houston if things go right could not compete right away so it's it's hard to say if we're trying to rank the jobs
2: I don't think they, that this is going to be a situation where you show up to the league and you fall to the bottom no I think if I, we're selling the job Cincinnati is a better job than Iowa State I think Cincinnati yes. is a better job than Kansas
4: yes yes
2: Cincinnati is a better job than Kansas State
4: disagree yes. really no yeah I think Cincinnati or Kansas State has a better coaching situation. I think they're a more established program. I think their NIL game is much stronger. Like we know that, you know, certain other schools try to come take Kansas state's quarterback commit and they kept him to me, that signal strong NIL. I, I do not think Cincinnati's a better job than Kansas state right now. I think Kansas state is more prepared to operate as a good power five program.
2: Is Cincinnati better than Oklahoma state? No, no. TCU.
4: No, definitely not.
2: Texas tech.
1: Yes, similar. I, I, I was going to say that feels yeah. similar. Yeah, I don't and think Tommy Tupperville didn't think it was similar. Was he going to get fired at Texas Tech?
2: Well, I mean, he was uh, <laughs> he,
1: eventually. Yeah, I mean, but,
2: I mean I he would have for walking out on that dinner. We're not even paying <laughs> a jerk. Uh, yeah, better than is it better than West Virginia?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I we'll think leave, so. we'll I mean, leave.
4: it's similar. Like, West Virginia had had a really good record in the, in the old Big East, old American, and then they found out real quick how, how much tougher the Big 12 was than what they were playing in.
2: I think but the recruiting I footprint think, of Cincinnati yeah, it makes it a better job than West Virginia. Because
1: so you don't have to drive very far to find talent for Cincinnati. Like, West Virginia, I don't know what the high school situation as far as recruiting there is to – just like a plethora of guys ready to step in and play power five football
2: Well, but don't you have to go to florida
1: you do yeah look i
4: mean my, my thing is west virginia is thinking it's going to steal uh oregon's ad or oregon state's ad which i don't think going to happen but just the fact that they think they could pull that off is uh, probably indicative of maybe the money they have to throw around but i i think those are similar jobs like i don't i don't think Cincinnati and west virginia have a, a massive gap between each other
2: All right, so now let's go against the other arrivals. Cincinnati, better job than BYU. Yes. The institutional
4: issues you have at BYU as far as who you can take in, I -hmm. I think are, yeah.
2: Cincinnati, better job than Houston.
4: Equal. Yeah, same.
2: And then UCF?
4: No. Pretty similar. I mean, I I think, like, I want to see how much UCF's NIL stuff steps up.
1: They're definitely building. Yeah, it's we got to see how – like the same situation for Cincinnati. It's going to be – you got to see how they adapt to a new conference and a new kind of geographical footprint. But I think that in a vacuum, UCF's a better job than Cincinnati.
2: Cincinnati, based on our rapid analysis, is a top-half job in a Power Five conference. Yeah. They can take this to market, and they should be able to get an extremely qualified candidate. They don't need to pluck somebody on the way up. They can – they should be able to take somebody potentially from another sitting power five job. I, I didn't necessarily have that in mind when we first started talking about it. And we were like, um, which by the way, if it is urban, please,
1: please. <laughs> I'm
2: just going to say that again. If urban Meyer graduate of Cincinnati, is it university of Cincinnati or Cincinnati University, it's university, university of, Cincinnati. of Yeah, Urban Meyer university of Cincinnati graduate. If you want to come on back to college football? The Bearcats will have you. <laughs> that drive to Urban Meyer's pint house—it's not too far. <laughs> you can make this happen.
4: Oh, it's you, also behind Baylor. We, we we didn't ask about Baylor.
2: Oh yeah, because he said, "Ah, uh, sorry." Tom said TCU and Baylor so definitely like seems like top tier, which are like mm. interesting because from a university perspective, are they both getting the the boost of being a better jobs because they're private schools? With a lot of money resources like yes yeah I mean
4: I no effort, I, I, I would push back a little bit on the idea that, that Cincinnati can pull a sitting power five head coach it, it is absolutely a bottom half of the power five job right every SEC job is better except for maybe Vandy right I think we would agree on that you think Cincinnati could pull Matt Campbell because that's a sitting power five head coach I don't think Cincinnati wants Matt Campbell if what the ad said about valuing recruiting Understand what I'm saying. Do, what you think it, do you think it could, if it wanted to? Just balancing no, your statement. I don't, because I think Iowa State has more realistic expectations than what Cincinnati will probably have. Cincinnati is going to have a tough time with this, in my opinion, because they have been so damn good. They are averaging over ten wins a year. They just made the playoff. There's a really good chance that they are losing, you know, two to six games per year in conference play, in the Big Twelve. It's going to be a really tough act to follow. And it's hard to sit here and tell your boosters, hey, guys, this is such a step up in competition. It's going to take a while. Now, maybe you sell it as I've been in this league. I can guide you into this league. I know the pitfalls and the challenges of this league. I know what it takes to win in this league. But that's still a tough sell if you start out and all of a sudden you look over in the loss column and you got eight in the first two years, which is very possible. Like you jump the Cincinnati team in the Big 12 this year. What they lose in the American three times? Twice? Yeah. I mean, you probably have four or five losses in the Big 12 this year with a Cincy team. That's nine and three. I, I don't agree. And they're losing it's, a lot of guys to the transfer
1: portal, and they don't have a quarterback going forward. It doesn't appear. I don't agree that it's that difficult of a transition. We have proof of concept. TCU joined the Big 12 when it had Texas and Oklahoma, and it was winning the conference in its third year there. That's fair. That's really fair. They and also, Missouri
2: showed up in the SEC and won the Daggum East. There's yeah. context there, but also there are levels to that. Like asking you to come and make a splash in the Big Twelve is then different than asking you to come and make a splash in the SEC.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't think. I think it's because this is new ground. It's it's we've dealt with this where new programs join conferences. We're not seeing the kind of changes that we're seeing in this where it's like four new teams are coming in as the two powers are leaving. So it's really hard to know for sure. But I don't think I don't think there's that big of a gap from being where Cincinnati has been the last few years to being a competitive team in the Big Twelve, at least not the new one. All right. So the one, two, three, four, five, six,
4: seven years before West Virginia joined, right? In in their league. Seven and 0, five and two, 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 five and two since joining. Four and five, two and seven, five and four, four and five, seven and two, five and four, six and three, three and six, four and five, or four and four. Four and five, and whatever they are this year, the Big mm-hmm. Twelve seems about two losses harder per year from a really good, you know, Big East team than it is now.
2: But with the total reset, I think that you would you tell your boosters if we get this higher right, then we jump up into the top tier.
4: Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah, and I'm just saying like there's no USF, there's no Tulsa, there's no Temple on the schedule,
1: right? Correct, but I mean there's West Virginia on a schedule. <laughs> that's true.
3: <laughs> no, but Who I mean, I,
1: I get what you're saying, but I think that, like, I don't think West Virginia when it left the Big East for the Big 12 was in anywhere near as good a shape as Cincinnati is leaving the American for the Big 12. And I also think it was at a further disadvantage because at the time, like, it was just way the hell off by itself in the Northeast playing a conference that was centered in the middle of the, the country. Whereas that's not going to be the case for Cincinnati. It has West Virginia nearby. It's got UCF down in Florida. I mean, it's not close, but... It's more geographically aligned, I think, with the Midwest or the Prairie, which is the Big 12's home, than West Virginia ever was.
3: Who are the guys in TV, do you think, would make sense for one of these jobs? I'm looking at Tom Herman and Dan Mm -hmm. Mullen as kind of the two bigger names there. Do you think either one? Because I think they're in a position, too, where they only want to take a spot where they can win and where they can possibly contend for a playoff. So I do think Cincinnati would be a pretty good fit for that option.
2: Great fit for Tom Herman, in my opinion, because yeah, you know one. he was at Houston, he was at Texas, and Cincinnati will want to make sure that it gets somebody that can get in and try to recruit uh, in that big twelve footprint. I think that I think that Herman would be a, a great a great hire for Cincinnati to try and go make a splash in that conference.
1: Oh, I think Herman makes a lot of sense
2: he was also let's see how long was he at Ohio State? Not long though.
3: Probably two, a few years, right?
1: Two or three years, I think. Three,
2: yeah, three years. So, you know, three years of of recruiting and working your way around the state of Ohio as well. So, um,
1: he's got a ring he can wear around the state to show people.
2: Let's see. Also, also a couple of years at Iowa State. Yeah, you know, I, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see because do you think that again? Or are we setting all of these job? One last point point on this. Are we setting all these jobs at December 5th? You want to get this thing filled by, by December 5th or else we got some problems on our hands?
3: How much Ideally. can you really do in 24? Like, let's just say, I mean, what if it's done the third? Like, don't you need a full week to make sure guys aren't entering? I mean, the other thing, too, is once you enter, they're not necessarily gone. So you could salvage it. I don't know. I, I wonder if we're putting too much on that date. And it's like, I think the Maybe. signing day is the most important one because you got to get a class filled. Mm. yeah but it's also I think the reason they it's not
1: just convincing your own guys to stay, it's getting in the groundwork to convince guys to come and if you're not in charge on December fifth, there's a bunch of other schools who are talking to that kid already who you haven't had a chance to talk to, so you've got to dig yourself out of that hole to start
2: mm. Mm-mm-mm. Well, it is the coaching carousel, which means that it will be uh, a constant thread of our conversation as we continue uh, through the rest of this week and next week, and you know probably the, the rest of the month, depending on what happens. Who knows what is who is the the magical um, the the mystery team from the from the baseball uh, the baseball rumor days? You know who is that rabbit in the hat that John Cohen's going to pull out? Uh, Are we going to see the dominoes starting to fall? We will, of course, be giving you updates on all of that. Coming up on the other side, it is a Monday, so we do need to give you our upon further review. We'll get into that and more next. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, and we have been giving out some Paramount Plus 30-day free trials to a premium plan, and we're going to do it again today. So, if you are among the many, many, many watching us live right now, our watchers, to likes, I don't like that ratio, my friends. So, let's get those likes up. We see... It hit 150 likes on the video on youtube.com slash cover three. We will give out three Paramount plus 30 day free trials. So go ahead and smash that like. We appreciate it uh, in advance. Once we hit that, we'll give the all call for you to find out how you can get that 30 day, be one of the luckies, lucky viewers to get that 30 day free trial. Okay. Okay. Upon further review, uh, we had our final, uh, our final regular season Saturday is now in the books. A little bit of time to comb through uh, some of the other results. It was a very extensive instant reaction show. That's what happens when you've got some of the drama and some of the ups and downs that we saw from uh, a wild and chaotic Saturday in all of college football. Uh, where do we want to begin for a pun for the review?
3: I've got one.
1: So, oh, okay. go ahead, Chip.
2: Okay. I do not think that there is any motivation for Duke head coach Mike Elko to make a move after just one season. I think that when he was brought in by athletic director Nina King, it was always going to be that uh, you know, this was a true you know, building project. But man, if I was a... A, an athletic director, I wish that I could get Mike Elko, who I think is probably going to be in the line for ACC Coach of the Year honors. The Blue Devils finished 8-4 and four after beating Wake Forest on Saturday, a game that we didn't get a chance to highlight a lot. A heartbreaking loss on the over-under, by the way. We had, <laughs> we had Wake Forest storming down the field trying to... Uh, trying to go and get themselves a touchdown that would that would get them uh, over the total. But it was that Duke defense that got an interception. And to me, what stands out about this uh, Duke season under Mike Elko is the fact that last year, we saw a strong start with Kansas and Northwestern wins, and then it just cratered near the end. And of course, that might have been the end of the, the David Cutcliffe era, but after a strong start, take the loss to Kansas, really, really bad loss at Georgia Tech in a game that they let slip away. Then North Carolina stormed back and beat them. And maybe you could have seen that happen again. Heck, the game against Miami, very next time out, bad mistakes right off the jump. Special teams errors. And you're like, okay, is this going to be the Duke football that we've come to know? But it's not. Duke goes on to win four out of the last five games. And letting the game slip away against Pitt was Absolutely disappointing. But in that stretch, four out of five wins. Wins against Miami, Boston College, Virginia Tech, and Wake. Only a two-point loss at Pitt on the road. The Blue Devils finish eight and four. It is the one, two, three. Tied for the fourth best record in the entire ACC. I ask you, where does that stack among some of the best and most impressive coaching jobs that you've seen all season?
4: I think it's extremely impressive. I mean, uh, Elko came in there. I I do think there is something to be said for Duke not treating last year seriously, and that the baseline level of talent at Duke last year was better than the record showed. Right, Cuckliff made a bunch of moves last year to move guys around in different positions and give them new titles and things. To there's some thought that maybe he did that to uh, increase the higher ability of some of the guys on his staff knowing it that he, like no one he was probably going to leave, right? This guy gets a new coordinator title, this guy gets a new assistant head coach title, all that kind of stuff. And it, I'm not saying they didn't try, but I do think that the level of player on Duke was better than last year showed. And Elko and his staff have done a tremendous job at using that talent. Obviously, you can't go portal nuts at Duke. Uh, and so they, they schemed it up well. They really hit on quarterback. Uh, I think I mean, we, we, we need to also acknowledge here that the rest of the Coastal uh totally collapsed. But um he's done a really good job. He's probably going to win Coach of the Year in the ACC, right?
2: Either that or Norvell, because that's the problem. Is yeah. Mike Norvell is going to be an, another great argument as well for what he's been able to do uh in Tallahassee.
3: Both but five and three in the conference. Yeah, but from the... Who did more with less, which is where I was looking. Like it's a great barometer of who's coaching the best. I, mean, I was just looking up Duke's win total before the season was three and a half. Yep. You know, Florida State's was seven and a half. Now they went over it, but this is a totally different standard of what Elko just did at Duke. I think it's phenomenal here for them. I think. He's, I mean, I think he should be up for the coach of the year. Like, and I. And the only thing is, I'm curious. Like, why doesn't it get talked about more? Now, this is some of the ACC, by you know lack of love for the conference we give us don't, <laughs> don't worry we try we tried, car, yeah. Dang it yeah, but, but even mean, like, is like <laughs> on. but even still like listen to how we've pinned this like when vanderbilt gets a couple back-to-back wins in the sc it's like Woo-hoo, way to go vanderbilt like oh man they must be getting good at duke it's like uh conference sucks like <laughs> maybe it's more about duke getting better than it is about everything else the conference has struggled though I'm not going to make the case for the ACC, but I think it is a tribute to Mike Alco.
2: He was an assistant under Dave Clawson at multiple stops. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. That's the other side of this. Dave Clawson lost to NC state. Dave Clawson lost to North Carolina. Dave Clawson lost to Duke. This is a disappointing finish for a demon Deacons team that at the end of September, you know they they go into overtime or double overtime against Clemson. They beat Florida State, and we are um, we're excited. You know we're thinking that the Demon Deacons might be the second best team in the ACC. They're the other side of this coin where they finish now with four losses in the final five games and uh, a, a disappointing finish for for, uh, for the Demon Deacons here at the end of the year as Dave Clawson gets upended by his former assistant in a close and competitive game that it sends these two programs into the offseason in very different directions.
1: You know, Bud has mentioned a couple of times. He senses that there's something off in that program right now. We've also seen Clawson's name since David Shaw surprised us all at 3 a.m. by resigning. We've seen Clawson's name come up in all the candidate lists at Stanford. Do you guys, as the ACC trio of this show, do you guys see a scenario in which he would leave Wake for the Stanford job, or is that just people connecting dots of he's at a private school with academic requirements?
3: I think he'd be crazy to leave because you're getting into a worse situation with more challenges. Like he's proven you can win it, Wake and Shaw did too. But it just feels like the changing lengths, landscape is one one school is headed one direction, the other is headed another.
2: So I ha- I have not checked in this week, but I know that the administration is not at all an obstacle for Dave Claus. I mean, there are institutional challenges, sure, but um, that the Wake Forest administration is fully behind Dave Clausen. There is a well-funded uh, collection of power players who have already led to a rapid upgrade in facilities and into some of the infrastructure around Wake Forest football. And I think that Dave Clawson has expressed his appreciation for knowing that those resources are there for whatever they need to do. So I would not trade what the support that has grown for Wake football um, I would not trade that for what you would be butting your head against at Stanford.
3: I mean, are we sure where Stanford is in all this? Like, They don't take transfers unless you're a grad transfer in today's environment. I
4: I had some folks reach out and say that they think that Stanford will be making some modifications to its policy. Uh, I know Stu Mandel today on The Athletic had a story you've been working on for quite a while about Stanford's downfall and how they're, they're not tough anymore inside their strength program because players had anonymous complaints and they had to, you know, fire the strength coach, blah, 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 which is kind of evident on the field. They also only have, I think, 40, 40 undergrad transfers in the entire university, whereas the average Pac-12 team has 26 transfers on its roster. So and Stanford only has one who came to the grad school as as, as like a regular student and then walked onto the team. Um, I I've had some people who have been right on Stanford stuff before, say they're going to make some modifications to that and they're going to get somewhat engaged in NIL. I don't know. I I think the bigger question for Clawson is, do you run the risk of Glenn Mason territory there at Wake? This is something I'm probably going to shoot a short on later today, but eventually the reason why a lot of these coaches get fired isn't because they're doing a bad job. And, of course, Clawson would never get fired at Wake in any time in the near future, and I'm not saying that. But if you want to keep boosters donating – it's hard to go back to your big booster and say, hey, man, we had another 8-4 and four year. That's a great freaking year at Wake Forest, dude. It really is. If you look at the history of Wake Forest football, 8-4 and four is awesome. It really is. And these boosters want to hear, we can take the next step. Here's what we can do. Eventually, they get tired and they like something new because they want to believe. They want to have some reason to believe to keep donating. That's why you got to cycle through these coaches. Like, why did Tulsa fire fire Phil Montgomery? He didn't do a bad job at Tulsa. Tulsa's the hardest hell job. Eventually these guys aren't going to donate if you're like, "Hey man, 5 and 7 at Tulsa is a good year." it's certainly not a not a bad year, right? We we just beat Houston on the road and you fired the guy. Is there some chance that like eventually like Wake wouldn't get tired of Clausen, right, Chip? I just I'm trying to think fresh start, restart somewhere. I don't know. I I think they're ready to to go to the backup and, and not Hartman personally. But
3: mm. Well, wouldn't there some rumors flying around about Hartman possibly leaving to go somewhere else?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you think he's going to get drafted if he were to get, go pro? Because I'm not really sure, based on this year, that he go, he would get drafted.
3: Ooh. I don't know. And if he was, it'd be a late 6th or 7th where he's yeah. not going to make the type of money he could make if he transferred somewhere.
4: I mean, look, guys, these quarterbacks, the, these senior stay-or-go late-round kids, they're going to get a million for sure. Like, we know these five-star quarterbacks are getting a million per And most of them as true freshmen are not going to be doing a whole lot. Like these teams are going to be paying, you know, eight fifty, a million, million and a half, in some cases, maybe 2 million for these top quarterbacks to come back and and be like, you're much more valuable to your team in college. If you're a win or win and a half better over replacement than you are as like a fifth round draft pick.
2: So you're telling me that there will be quarterback rooms with $2 million invested in the room, a mill for their, there already
4: are. There already are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Richardson comes back to Florida, how much do you think is in that quarterback room? (laughs) Like like, he's going to be a top draft guy. If for some, some reason they keep him to come back.
2: Mm.
1: I don't think he's coming back.
2: (laughs) Okay. Anything. What else, where else are we going to go in a pun for the review?
3: Where is Uh, he going?
1: I will, I will follow your lead chip. I'm going to talk about a coach who had a great season in a conference that's or a division that's frequently disrespected who we barely spent any time talking about on Saturday night Illinois 141 to 3 I just want to point this out because I didn't really normal on a Sunday I I watch games I didn't get the chance to see on Saturday I didn't get the chance to do that yesterday so I don't really have any new insights into any games that I missed to bring up but I just want to bring this up because I started caring about Illinois when I showed up in Champaign The record of the first two coaches or the first two seasons for every single Illinois football coach since I started caring, starting at Ron Turner. His first two seasons, three and 19 overall, two and 14 in the Big Ten. He was replaced by Ron Zook, who went four and 19 overall and one and 15 in the Big Ten in his first two seasons. Then came Tim Beckman, who went six and 18 and one and 15 in the Big Ten. Then came Lovey Smith, who went five and nineteen in his first two seasons, and two and sixteen in the Big Ten. After beating Northwestern on Saturday, after his first two seasons in Champaign, Brett Bielema is thirteen and eleven overall, and nine and nine in the Big Ten. He has won more Big Ten games in his first two seasons than the previous four coaches did combined. He's done a good job. Upon further review,
2: <laughs> upon further review, Bielema's out here curling it. And if Ryan Walters leaves, Jim Leonard's coming to be the defensive <laughs> coordinator. So Illinois for this can once again have one of the nation's best defenses.
1: That's right. Maybe Sam Hartman will end up in Champaign too. They're gonna to be in the market for a QB. I know that.
2: Uh, but Danny, anything y'all want to hit before we get out of here?
4: Um, no, you want to do USC preview on Wednesday? Yeah. All right.
2: Uh no, let's go ahead and take a look at that because that game's on Friday night. Yeah. And that's, that's something that we need to go ahead and like start to get our minds wrapped around because Friday night, we've already got the, the conference championship starting. And we've got, uh, first of all, starts Friday afternoon, Akron and Buffalo playing in the MAC championship game. We got on the mothership, CBS Sports Network, North Texas and UTSA and Conference USA, and then Utah and USC. Now, USC is favored by three in this game on the opening line over under of 67. Do you think that Utah can beat USC twice in one season and play spoiler to the Trojans' college football playoff hopes?
4: I, I think they can, certainly. They, they, they've already done so once. Um, if you look at it, you know USC outplayed Notre Dame uh, in terms of explosive plays and Caleb Williams is just amazing, and he keeps getting better and better. USC at the skill positions, with the exception of Die, appears to be about as healthy as they have been for most of the year. Uh, but also you had some key guys leave that game for USC. Like Gentry doesn't look fully healthy. And uh, Voorhees, one, one of their starting offensive linemen, left the game. I don't think he came back in, so we don't really know what his status is. There's a very narrow way in which Utah can win this game, and it probably looks exactly like it did up in Salt Lake right? It's blitz a ton, get a lot of pressure. Maybe Caleb doesn't make the miracle plays. Utah does have better cover guys than Notre Dame showed on Saturday. I'm not saying Notre Dame starters are bad. Don't come at me, Notre Dame fans. What I'm saying is the guys you had out mattered and you ended up with true freshmen on Jordan Addison and Mario Williams too often. And they cooked them. USC can cover or Notre Utah can cover USC in a way that I think a lot of Pac-12 teams cannot really do. And so this may come down to how balanced can USC be because no, Utah's run defense this year has been pretty poor. Uh, on the flip side, what Utah did offensively was impressive, but I also wonder how repeatable it is. Do you guys know Dalton Kincaid had 16 catches for 234 yards in that game?
2: I do and know that. And I also know that Akron-Buffalo is a rescheduled game. I just Look pulled up that. the schedule, and I nobody no, nobody hit me on that. Come on, guys! <laughs> Akron Akron's got two wins on the season. I just pulled up the schedule, and I was like, "Oh yeah, nice. We get things started in the afternoon. It's a rescheduled game." But yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did know Dalton Kincaid has uh, the the MAC championship is Toledo in Ohio. That game will be on Saturday.
4: I, I don't know that Utah is great along the lines of scrimmage. Um, Cam Rice is going to need to play a hell of a lot better than he played against Oregon because he was flat out bad against the Ducks, but there's a slim margin because I don't think USC is going to bully them along the line of scrimmage, unlike some teams can.
1: I mean, you mentioned Kincaid's performance. Let's, Let's look at what USC did that game. Caleb Williams threw for 381 yards, ran for 57, threw for five touchdowns. Jordan Addison caught seven passes for 106 yards. Mario Williams caught four passes for 145 yards. They did all that. Oh, and Travis Dye rushed for 76 in a touchdown. They did all that, and they lost. Because the one thing that didn't happen in that game, at least not repeatedly, was Utah only turned the ball over once. And we have seen that this defense, when they're forcing turnovers – you can't beat USC because you can't keep up with what they're able to do offensively. They're going to put up a minimum of, you know, save for a couple of exceptions, the Oregon State game, whatever. But for a minimum, you can expect that they're going to score at least 35 on you. So you have to be able to outscore them. You can't turn the ball over to do that. So if Utah takes care of the ball, yeah, it, it can beat USC. I And I wouldn't be shocked if they did it again. That said, I also feel like these are two very different teams than the teams that played in, what was that, October? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hmm. so I think Utah has not got, I don't think it's bad by any stretch, but I think it's gotten weaker, whereas I feel like USC has gotten stronger. And I feel like right now, Caleb Williams is just kind of on one. I think that even with the loss of die, that is an offense that is clicking on all cylinders. I do think that while defensively they have problems, they are getting better, not like markedly, where you think, oh, all of a sudden this is a good defense. But I think they're tackling better. I think they're doing a better job of limiting big plays. And then they are coming through with those turnovers when they need them. So going into the rematch, I think USC is... I think there's a good shot they're going to get the revenge, but it is not nearly a sure thing. Like You look at the other title games this weekend, it's like TCU and Kansas State is going to be a good game, but I feel like the Big Ten game will be a blowout. The SEC game will be a blowout. This game has a chance to not only with the stakes, it has to be the, quote, most interesting, but I think it's also got a chance to be the most exciting and like kind of craziest game come the fourth quarter.
4: The other part that, that Utah might not be able to replicate is that they penned USC with an absurd average starting field position of its own 20 like that is really really bad for a college team because obviously kickoffs come out to the 25 so USC had a ton of yards in that game and a lot of open field to play with Utah in the red zone was a little bit better uh, than they had been which was helpful defensively so they're going to have to to keep USC pinned back make make USC be consistent it's hard to beat Caleb Williams right now man if you're not a bully up front like I think USC or Michigan and Georgia would look a little bit different against USC because I don't think they would have to blitz as much to to affect the line of scrimmage. But Caleb is so good. And on the other hand, look, USC has played two wars in a row, okay? That game felt like USC was in control, but it was close late. They had to go out and get some first downs, make some plays, and get that pick. Utah has known they're going to play USC if they win for a while. And they just played a Colorado team that didn't have its starting quarterback and cruised. So my guess here is that Utah could be a little bit fresher. They haven't played a bunch of really, really tough games in a row.
1: Could be helpful. I also, for Utah's stance, I also worry about Cam rising in this game because if you look at his numbers on the season, like the USC game was his best performance of the year. He threw for 415 yards, two touchdowns. Then he missed the Wazoo game the following week. And in the games against Arizona, Stanford, and Oregon after that, he wasn't very good at all. And like, he put up huge numbers last week against Colorado, but Colorado. So I just, if, if this is in a situation where Utah is going to have to score points to keep up, I just, I don't know that they can right now. Final point on that.
4: And and Tom is exactly right here. After he got hurt, uh, his mobility has been, been damaged Mm -hmm. and he had 11 designed runs in that game against USC for 60 yards. Uh, he did not move well against Oregon at all. And I, I just wonder if this is something – I'm not a doctor. Is that an injury that's going to require uh, some sort of off-season cleanup? Potentially. Who knows? Did we see the, uh, this amazing announcement, by the way? Or, John, do you want to follow up on Utah? Because I wanted to get to the end of the no. show. Luther Burden, uh, who a lot of people have speculated is going to transfer for Missouri because uh, Dominic Lovett announced his intention – or I think it was reported, rather, that he's intending to transfer That's Missouri's other good receiver – Luther Burden, who was a five-star last year. This is how he announced he's coming back to the bowl. I don't know if you guys can see this or not. Um, Tremendous here. It's him with a bag of his own chips, the old Vienna Red Hot. Uh, I'm now playing with an all-caps chip on my shoulder in this bowl game. Let's go to work. I'm not going anywhere. Tiger for life, M-I-Z, all-caps, three exclamation points. Go to Schnucks and grab a bag of LB3 chips. Good for him.
2: That guy exactly. has to be a Missouri legend by the time <laughs> yeah. he is
4: done. Good for uh good for drink by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Like if, you lost, <laughs> if you lost if you lost Lovett and Burden in the offseason, uh that would not surprise me if that job had opened. Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't do that. his recruiting is one of the reasons he's sticking around.
2: Yep. Getting him on board was important. Keeping him on board will remain important. And uh and it sounds like they've at least got him um well uh all chipped up and uh and and set to go so very very good stuff for the missouri tigers we will be back on tuesday night with instant reaction to the new college football playoff rankings then on wednesday more looking ahead to conference championship weekend and because we are done with november that also means tux is coming out baby November superlatives. So we'll do conference championship previews. November superlatives on Wednesday. Thursday, our conference championship locks. So much to get to. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentle- oh, 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 oh. Y'all, y'all hit the numbers. Sorry. Drop your Twitter handles in the chat right now. Go ahead and drop them and make sure you're following the cover three podcast on twitter uh, we asked and you delivered we surpassed the number of likes required so that we could give away these uh 30 day paramount plus premium plan free trials so go ahead and drop them in the chat go ahead and uh and we will get in touch with some lucky winners for this paramount plus free trials you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Follow him at 3 Gentlemen, thank you very much.
4: Thank you. See you all.
0: weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus head to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply